The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. Chapter 2, James chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 14 down to the end of the chapter. So if you have your Bible with you, follow along with us from James chapter 2, verse 14 down to the end of the chapter. He is a good and gracious king, a creator of all things. He is holy and high and lifted up, and his glory fills the temple. This morning I've asked Papa John to come and do our sermon. As we walk through the book of Romans, we see that we receive God's righteousness by faith and not by works. And then James writes in his epistle about this struggle between faith and works. And so I've asked this morning for Papa John to bring a message on the balance between faith and works. And how does this work in our spiritual life? And then next Sunday we'll continue on in Romans chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, James chapter 2, I'll read verse 14 down to the end of the chapter. Verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things that are needful to the body, what does it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works and by works hath was faith made perfect verse 23 and the scripture was fulfilled which saith Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God you see then how that by works a man is justified not by faith only likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she was when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. This is the reading of God's word. Well, good to see you guys here this morning. I trust that the Lord is going to give us something from his word. I, the text that I chose this morning is one of those texts that people use as a contradiction in the Bible. Because pastor's been teaching us through the book of Romans, and when you get to chapter 4, the emphasis has been works do not save you. And the primary works it's talking about, we'll see in a minute, is the works or the deeds or trying to obey the Old Testament Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments. And in the case of the Jewish people, pastors mentioned it before, there are 600
613 laws found in the Old Testament in the Torah, in the first five books. And those include things like, sorry, you can't eat kuka, and you can't have uh, prawns, and you can't eat catfish, and you can't eat, sorry, pig. I mean, all these laws are there. Plus, accidentally stepping on a grave. I mean, all those things make you unclean in the sight of God under the Old Testament law. And the purpose of the law is to bring us to Christ, to realize there's no way we could keep all that. And of course, we're most familiar with the first Ten Commandments, the most important, it seems. And if we look at that honestly, we can't keep that. So in Romans, it's talking about the works or obedience to the law that we should do, but we can't. We keep failing. But when we get to James, what Pastor read this morning, it actually makes the statement contrary, it seems, to what Romans said where Romans 4 said Abraham was justified by faith, and here it says Abraham is justified by works. And so this morning, I, I want to flesh that out, but I want to look at a few things first to give us a background of the term works and the term faith. Now, I grew up in a Methodist church in the United States, and if you know your history here, the United Church in Papua New Guinea is an offshoot of the Methodist Church from England and the United States. So the, the doctrines that I came up in had more to do with doing good things than it did having faith in Christ. It was about, you've got to be good, you've got to be good, you've got to be good or you'll go to hell. That's the way I was trained as a, a boy. Now, I think my parents really did that so I wouldn't be a bad boy, right? So they didn't have so much problem in the house. And you're like, wow, I'm looking at you, your white hair, Kayla, and man, that must have been a long time ago. It was, believe me. Moses' law, the ink was still wet, on, oh, well, the stone was still freshly chipped. But in reality, this morning, let me compare something for you here. I'm just going to flip back, and you can if you want. In Romans 3 and Romans 4, where pastor spent a good deal of time bringing us through this, Paul makes the statement in Romans 3.28, we conclude, after all these things about how we cannot keep that Old Testament law, we conclude that a man is justified by faith, Faith, which is belief, which is trust. It's talking about an actual thing, not, a, not something floating around in the sky, a real thing in your heart. We conclude, Paul says, that a man is justified by faith, and if you read the whole context, faith in Christ and what he did for us, we conclude you're justified by faith, you're made righteous in the eyes of God by faith and not by the deeds or the works of the law. And then he goes into chapter 4 and he says, what did Abraham find? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him, put on his account as righteousness. He believed. Did you know that Abraham could never keep the law? You and I can't keep the law, but there's another reason Abraham couldn't keep it. It hadn't been written yet. You see, Abraham is a tumbuna of Moses. And Moses is the guy who God gives it to and he writes it down. Abraham was not cognizant of 613 laws. He knew one thing. God was the God of heaven and earth. And in knowing that and focusing on that, God began to work in Abraham's life. And when God gave Abraham a crazy promise, he's 90 years old. His, his wife is younger. No, I'm sorry. When he's 99 and he's younger, he says, Abraham, you're going to have a, a son. And he's like, um, Lord, I'm old. This doesn't happen. And God's like, I'm going to work a miracle, and here's what I want you to do, Abraham. I want you to take a look. This is Genesis 15. I want you to look at the sky. And as they stared out on that Judean desert, or wherever he was at the time, and he saw that, it's a desert. There are no clouds. 
the sky is painted as if the stars cover from horizon to horizon. And he said, Abraham, count the stars. And he said, that's how many descendants you're going to have. Now, if you haven't had one child yet, and you're the age older than most boo-boos, that's kind of hard for you to say, I mean, you know, you look for one bright star, and Lord, I'll just be happy with one. one. And God said, no, 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 the whole thing, count it. Abraham said, uh, I can't. And he goes, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And Abraham believed God. Now, is there any reason for him to believe God's going to do that, except that God said it? You see, that's the essence of faith. We believe it because God said it. It doesn't become true when we believe it. It is true when he says it. And God said it, and Abraham, exhibiting pure faith, said, I believe you. And that's the illustration of how we come to faith in Christ and how we are made righteous with God. You see, salvation. Salvation is not about heaven. Salvation is not about you living your best life now. Salvation is not about you getting ahead in this world. Salvation is about you being restored to the right relationship with God, to going to the relationship where you and God are one bell, that there's nothing between your soul and the Savior. And it's only through Jesus' work on the cross that we get that. And we don't get it by attaining it, striving for it, because we fail. But like Abraham, we find we get it when we believe God, when he said, if you believe me, if you'll put your trust in my son, I will give you my righteousness. Now, that's what pastor's been talking about. I want to look at different kinds of works that are in scripture just real briefly. And the first one I want to look at is the works of our flesh. These are quotes from scripture, different kinds of works that we do, deeds that we do, works of the flesh. It's in Galatians 5.19, and it gives this list of the works of the flesh. And some of them that I think we've just got here are, they're manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, just, and there's more in the list as it continues in verse 20 in Galatians. But it's things that are wicked, things that are opposed to God. Those are the works of the flesh. It is the sinner, you and I, you and I trying to please ourselves ignoring every warning from God about sin, ignoring everything God says about sin. We just want to make ourselves happy. Well, you got your way and I've got my way, and so I'm just going to let you do yours, but I'm going to do me. And doing me is I'm just going to stay drunk, and I'm just going to smoke dope, and I'm just going to run around with as many women or as many guys as I can. I'm just going to do that. And that, those are called works of the flesh because we're here for one reason, to make me happy. Do you ever wonder how difficult it would be to live in a me-centered universe if you weren't the me? Have you ever thought of that? Because see, when we think everything's about me, we forget that that's another me sitting beside me. And if we want the whole universe and all the world around me and all the people we know to make me happy, what if it's not about me? What if it's about this guy or this girl? And so what if we all had to kowtow to what they liked? And you're like, no, 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 no. Me. You see, that's what it is. The works of the flesh are like me, and then the next person is me. Did you know those me's are going to butt head sooner or later? Two blow by bump. It's going to happen. But you see, when we put God first, there is no issue because everybody's looking out for God's interests as he puts it. But there's not just works of the flesh. There's also dead works. And dead works is what I think I grew up with in church. Dead works. Dead works is where a sinner like me, tries to 
make his conscience be quiet. He tries to appease his conscience or please it. And that's, so how do I do that? Well, I, I, I would go to church. I mean, surely God's going to be happy with me because I go to church. Or, or I, there's an opportunity to give to charity. And so I, I want to help. I want to contribute to this house cry. I want to contribute to the needs of this family. I want to give something. And then just giving a little bit like I did, God, did you see that? Did you check that out? Did you see what a great giving heart I had? Did you notice that I was in church four times last year? Did you check me out? I was in church, God. I was sitting there. I was being obedient. But all I'm doing is appeasing my conscience because I'm not looking at what God wants for obedience. I'm just coming up with my own idea, and I just want to make my own conscience. Hebrews 9 talks about that when it says that the blood of Christ will purge our conscience to serve the living God, purge us from dead works. Because before I came to faith in Christ, before I even understood the gospel, my whole thing was, I just need to make God happy so he's not mad. But I, every time I heard about his requirements, I was like, no, that can't be right, because that's just way too much. That is way too much to ask of me. So I'm just going to make him happy. I'm gonna, I'll give a little money, and I'm going to be nice to my neighbor, and I won't kick the cat too many times. And, and, and I will be in church sometimes. And maybe that'll just make God kind of happy because I'm better than this guy who never gives anything and always kicks his cat and and he never goes to church. So I'm better than him. So it's it's this mentality. In the United States, we have the wildest animal in the United States is a bear. How many of you have ever seen a video of a bear? How many of you have ever seen a bear? Now look, a black bear is small. A grizzly, when it stands up, it towers above you. And grizzlies have just a really bad attitude about life, and they're all about killing people. And we, we have a joke in America that I don't have to run faster than the bear if I'm in the forest. I just have to run faster than my friend. <laughs> and that is the same idea that we seem to have toward God is not that I need to meet your standards. I just need to be better than this guy so that when I run, you get him because, do you see, he's... He's a sinner. I, I mean, I'm a sinner, but he's a greater sinner. And that's not what God's about. It's not about comparing ourselves. The third kind of works mentioned, mentioned in Scripture are the works of the law, and that's exactly what's been coming up in Romans chapter 3. It's when the sinner, me, tries to please God by keeping the law, by making himself acceptable to God. That would be something we would call religion. It actually started in the Garden of Eden. It started with Adam and Eve. They wanted to have their own. And then their son, uh, Cain, had up, came up with his own religion. God said, I want a sa- animal sacrifice. And Cain's like, I'm going to grow vegetables. There is nothing more opposite than an animal sacrifice than growing vegetables. But it's, it's man deciding what I'm going to do is going to be acceptable to you, God. When you see what I've done, you have no idea how great I am. But it's the sinner in his efforts really trying to please God, not realizing he just keeps falling short. He keeps missing the mark. So with those thoughts of different works that we are all involved in, before we talk about what is an acceptable work, what does God want when he's looking for works, first we have to define faith. Um, Would you turn to Hebrews 11 with me real quickly? Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is known as the faith chapter. The faith chapter. And it's examples of faith from the Old Testament. Some of them, you're like, yes, I read that story. 
That person is a person of faith. Yes, I read that story. Wow, she is a lady of faith. Yes, I read that one. Oh, that is one of faith. But there are some people you read about in Hebrews chapter 11, you're like, whoa, how did he get in here? Like, how did Samson get in here? Now, if you only had the little, the light, the Samson light version, the Samson version that doesn't tell everything, like, Stromplamania, make him kind, kind, kid him Samson. That's Samson light. Go to Samson heavy. Mangalimo Miri. Sleep with this Mary. Sleep with that woman. Sleep with this woman. Sleep with that woman. That's Samson. When God's telling him, you need to be obedient to me. God, I chose you, Samson. Same time he turns around, I'm strong, I'm mighty. Other side, just sinning against God openly. Breaking the very vow that God put on his life. Samson makes it to the chapter on faith. How did he get in there? You see, faith responds to God is based upon your heart turning to God. In Hebrews 11, faith is defined. You're like, oh good, I, just, I need a definition. Are you ready? Verse 1. Faith is the substance, the thing that's concrete of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Now get this. Hard to see faith. I can't put it in a cup. I can't stick it in my pocket. I can't put it in my backpack. But when I watch a person of faith, which is what this whole chapter is about, when you see this person's life and see that person's life and see the times in their life when they did follow God, you're like, okay, I think I can see it. I can understand faith by the examples given here. But faith in its definition has a principle, and that's found in verse 6. It would be good for every one of us as believers to memorize this and to embrace it. Hebrews 11.6, without faith... It is impossible to please him, please God. You cannot please God without faith. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. You have to believe that God is. Not was, not is found only in the Bible, but you believe that God is, that he exists. When he first appeared to himself, to Moses in the burning bush, Moses said, you know, when I do all this stuff, God, and I go tell your people, who, what, what do I say your name is? Anybody remember what he said to tell him his name was? I am. I am. He is. It's, it's a belief in a God that not only exists, but that he exists personally, and he's connected to our world, and he's connected to your life. He that comes to God must believe that he is, and second, you need to believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. You see, sometimes we get this idea, I believe there's really a God, and I believe he's really there, but I don't believe he's really connected. I believe he kind of got the whole world going. And just let it go. But that's not how it is. He's intimately connected with his creation. That's what the scriptures are about, is to see how God, who did start everything, has stayed with it step by step, page by page, chapter by chapter. He is connected intimately with his people. So faith, you've got to believe that God is, and then you've got to believe he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And notice the word is diligently. Four times a year is probably not diligently seeking. How often do you seek God? In fact, Sunday morning is probably not diligently seeking. Do you seek God on Monday? Do you seek him on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday? Are you, are you looking for God and evidences of his work in your life every day, daily? You see, this is what faith is about. Let me give you three principles of faith, 
three parts of it. One, I want you to know this. Faith comes from hearing the word. I would ask for you to raise your hand, but I'll just raise mine. How many times have you ever been weak in faith? I have been weak in faith. Well, faith does not come from you straining to make it come. You get up in the morning, you say, today I am going to have faith. It doesn't work that way. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. Romans 10, 17, Paul said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Now, here's, here's, why, here's how that works. It's not a, a magic trick. It's not that you hold this book in front of you and all of a sudden faith just overcomes you and you are just this, suddenly this lovely person of faith. It works like this. As you read the scriptures, you read the stories of people, men and women of God and how they have served God. And can I even say youth? This morning, mom and I were praying and mom prayed, God, move today with our feeble efforts as you took the little boy's lunch. You see, that little boy gave his lunch to Jesus in faith. Just gave it. Here, whatever you want to do with it. I mean, little boy doesn't come up and go, hey, Jesus, I bet if I give that to you, you can feed all these people. He didn't. He said, I know you're looking for something, Jesus. Will you just take this? And Jesus took it and did something he never saw. So you have men and women and boys and girls in Scripture, and as you read their stories, that's where your faith comes alive. You're like, wait a minute, the God was there, and then we believe that God is, not he was. Then our faith begins to grow because, God, if you could do it back then, will you do it again now? And if you read through church history and you see the things that God has done through the church over the centuries, we're not talking about, God, you know, last minute, man, yeah. I mean, it'll come up now with us all. He's got lots and lots and lots of centuries of proof of his work and his ability and his love and his kindness and his mercy and his judgment and his righteousness. He's got it all there. And our faith has to be, and as we look at those things, we realize that's the same God. That same God that is working now is the one that was working then. And that's where faith comes from. You're like, okay, God's doing that. Then God can do that now. Faith comes by hearing from the word. Second, faith is always a gift from God. It's always a gift. Great passage on salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not of works. There's that word. Lest anyone should boast. I believe that grace, faith, and salvation are all gifts of God. We don't, we don't work it up. We don't have a store in ourselves. But one of the things that is a definite gift from God is faith. There's a, a saving faith that God helps you to believe. He opens your eyes so that you can see. I remember as a teen, I came to Christ at an ACE school when I was 14 years old. Now, 14 years old, man, that was a long time ago. But God was saving back then. But as a 14-year-old teenager, I had been in church, in and, out of, in and out of Methodist churches and Presbyterian churches and, and Unitarian, all this other kind of stuff, and nobody had ever sat down with me and explained that Jesus died for me. And I went to this ACE school, and we had a chapel. And I had to go to chapel every week as a, as a teen. I was in grade 9, I think. I was grade 9 at the time. And I remember hearing it and going, I have never heard this before. I've heard, I know about Jesus and about God, but this is supposed to be for me? I thought it was like a general thing where God just kind of dumped water over the whole planet and said, here, Jesus died for you. But no, this was for me. And in that, God began to work in my heart to realize that it was Christ died for me. And that was when saving faith came alive. He, he opened my eyes. He gave me the ability to catch that, to see it. 
That's saving faith. It's a gift from God. There's living faith. If you remember back in chapter 1 of Romans when Pastor was teaching, in Romans 1.17, it says, The just shall live by faith. That's living by faith. That's daily. Because, man, we run up against some things that challenge our faith. And it's not just the people who go contrary to our faith that challenge it. It's circumstances. They challenge your faith. There are, there, there are moods that we get in. There are things that happen to us and our faith is challenged. But God gives faith. And the faith comes from reading his word, from fellowshipping here. By the way, can I say, Brother Phil texted the pastoral team Friday night as the youth thing was getting going here. 92 youth, almost as many people as in here now. There were that many youth in here on Friday night and God working in hearts. And those kind of things encouraged me. Like, I was just wowed. Like, I'm like, look at that. Look at what God's doing. How many came, but how many are responding? And he sent photos later of you guys working together, you youth, and discussing things. And those are the things that are going to build your living faith. Not you hanging around with that schoolmate or that workmate who has all these crazy ideas. Well, I think it works like this. Really? Well, your idea dies with you. Because my you got ding, ding, blim yet. But when you, when you go into the Word, you're like, well, this is what God says. And you begin to work back and forth. And you're like, hey, this is how this worked out in my life. And I was in this kind of a challenge. And those kind of things build your daily living faith. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live it by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My daily life has to be a life of faith. And so there's saving faith and there's living faith. And then you see that faith that Jesus talked about that I bet almost all of us have said, man, I wish I had that, that mountain-moving faith. Jesus said if you had faith like the size of what? Anybody remember? Mustard seed, tiny, tiny, liquid seed. If you had that much faith, you could say to that mountain, jump up, go down, cut up, go to the salt water. Have you ever tried that? I have. I'm like, Lord, Like, nothing happened. But you know, there have been times in my life when I've come up against things in my life that at the time seemed like such a large thing, and I'm like, God, I have no one to lean on but you. I don't know how you're going to do this, how you're going to take care of it. And sometimes he makes me wait. And sometimes mountains move. Sometimes things get scooted out of the way. You see, those moments are those moments that are faith-building, that when you get that and it helps you and you share that with a brother, that brother might be down in faith, and you just top him up a bit. You just topped up his faith when you showed what God had done for you. You see, we have a testifying faith. There's a saving faith, there's a living faith, but there's a testifying faith of when God has done something for you. Listen, Hebrews 11 does not give you all the details of all these people's lives because everything they did wasn't right and everything you and I do isn't right. But there are times as believers, God works in our lives. And guess what? It's for his people to praise him. It's for his people to share that with the world around them. That's about faith. So faith comes from hearing the word and faith comes as a gift, always a gift. But note this, faith, and this is what we're talking about today, faith always produces good works. 
And this is what James is writing about. Go back to James 2. Faith always produces good works. You see, works or doing good things only matter if your faith is real. It doesn't matter how many good things you do. It doesn't, one does not weigh the other. But God has no balance. You really don't want that. I really don't want that. God does not hold this balance and put all of our good works on one side and all of our life on the other one. Now scale him out. It would tip the wrong way every time. What he does is he takes, if there is any kind of a balance, he takes all of our sin and all of Jesus' righteousness, and our sin goes on Jesus, and his righteousness comes to us, and there is no balance. It is a free gift of God. We call it salvation. But faith producing good works. What kind of faith do you have? And then we can discuss what kind of works will it produce. Now, theologians all read James and so many of them come up with the same outline. So this is not unique with me. But there are three different kinds of faith right here in the passage Pastor read this morning. Let's start in verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he has faith and have not works, can faith save him? Now, in that sense, James has already answered it in chapter 1. And I'm not going to go there because we've seen the answer in Romans. It is faith alone that saves James is trying to bring out, though, those who say they have faith and their lives don't show it need to examine themselves. And we'll see that from the text. The first faith he shows is a, the dead faith. A dead faith. And a dead faith is going to produce dead works. Dead faith. Verse 15. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, they all hungry, no got clothes, and one of you says to them, depart in peace. Be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding, or nevertheless, you don't give them the things that are needful for the body. What does it profit? Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead being alone. His first illustration is a dead faith. Can I say this? This is a global problem. It's not a Papua New Guinea problem. It's not an American problem. It is a global problem. Dead faith. It can be more cultural than concrete. It would be more ritual than real. It would be more traditional than transforming. It would be more fake than fruitful. I grew up as a young boy in the northern part of the United States, not traditionally a biblically uh, prosperous area where people did it. Now, way back in American history, yes, but very liberal as I was growing up in the 60s. But when I moved to the south of the United States, they have a term for it in America. They call it the Bible Belt. The Bible Belt. They're like, you can draw a line across the United States, at least you could in the 20th century, and you can say, you go past that line. You go past the belt. Most of those people will know Bible verses. Most of those people will go to church. Most of them might not all be saved, but they'll know something about God. When you cross that line, those people in the south, it just was a thing. But the problem is... They were trusting that they were born and raised there. Well, preacher, I grew up in church my whole life. I all, that's, they all talk funny like that. I never missed church. Mama took me when I was an itty-bitty baby. Itty-bitty is one of those tough words. And my grandpa was a preacher, 
and my uncle was a preacher. Did you know none of that will get you any closer to heaven than painting your face blue or maroon? I don't care what about your grandmother and what about your uncle or what about her, how many times you sat in a chair in a, in a church. That is not getting you close. But the, my, my people culturally are like, that's it. And when you present the gospel to them, they'll go, preacher, I heard that before. And it takes a work of God for them to listen because it's like a vaccine. They've had half the real thing put in them, and it keeps the real thing from ever grasping. They never catch it. Because they're like, I already know that, I already know that. But in reality, they're not listening. They have a dead faith. Jesus talked about it in, in Matthew 7. Let me read it. You, most of you know this. He said this. He says, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. But he made this statement. You shall know them by their fruits. He said, do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles, or could I say uh, mulies from mangoes? If you have a mango tree in your yard, I doubt seriously it's ever had one muli on it, one lemon, one orange, right? You just, you don't do that. He said, a corrupt tree, or sorry, verse 17, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit every time. By their fruits, you would know them. You see, the dead faith, how could you examine it? Well, just examine what kind of Fruit is coming from your life. Actually, what kind of works are coming out in your life, naturally speaking, day in and day out? Because that's the indication of what your faith looks like. What is it producing? Is it producing more and more sin, or is it producing more and more striving to desire to be closer to God? What is the fruit? What is it pulling out? When it comes to a mango tree, how many mangoes do you have to get off a mango tree before you know it's a mango tree? Might have put in one or two, and yeah, that's a mango tree. Even if I don't know the leaves and the shape of the tree, that's a mango tree. But if, but if it's putting something else out, I don't care what you call it. You can change it and say, that's a mango tree. And I'm like, brother, that's an avocado. Avocados and mangoes, that's not the same thing. No, 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 no. That's an avocado. That's, no, no, mango. It doesn't matter how many times you say it's something else. What it gives is what it is, and what your life produces is what your faith is. And from dead works, here he used the illustration of people saying, saying to the poor, oh, you don't have any food. Oh, you don't have any clothes. Let me pray for you. Lord, make this person feel full in their tummy and make them feel warm on the outside. There you go, my friend. Go, be happy. Seriously? Brother, you couldn't even give him a snacks biscuit? You couldn't even give him one of your old shirts? I mean, James is just making a very funny illustration that your faith is no better than what it does, how it works. And a dead faith produces dead works. Somebody said this, and I, I can't remember who it was, just had it written in my Bible. A, a dead faith is not an incomplete faith. It's an imitation faith. Dead faith is fake faith. It's not halfway there. It's just fake I don't care how religious we are. I don't care when we've been to church or what we've done. What is it impacting your life? How is it changing and transforming your heart right now today? You don't need fake faith. But then I see down in verse 18 to 20, I see another. And this is, this is demonic faith. You're like, really? There is a demon faith? Absolutely. Verse 18. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith... By, without thy works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. And then James says, you believe that there's one God, thou doest well. 
The devils also believe and tremble. But will you not know? Will you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? You see, the devils believe in God. They believe that Jesus is God. They believe in eternal punishment. In, in Mark chapter 1, the very beginning of Mark's gospel, Jesus confronts a demon-possessed man, not in the marketplace, not on the road, in church. The demon-possessed guy comes to church. Everybody knows it. Now you're like, what is he got? Drooling all the time and snarling? No. It's just that everybody knew by the fruits of his life, this guy is, this guy is affected by the devil. He's in the synagogue. Jesus is teaching. And when he's teaching there in, in Capernaum, they went there and it says there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And this guy, when he sees Jesus, he cried out saying, let us alone. So this guy's got more than one devil inside. Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? We know, I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. I know who you are. That's demonic faith. Now, I don't know how many people I have talked to in my decades of ministry that said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I know God. I believe in God. I'm like, brother, how's it affecting your life? Sister, how's that affecting your life? And I was like, well, you know, God knows we, we have this agreement. An agreement. Once in a while I'll go, can you show me that? I'd love to see that. Well, you know, it's just kind of, I'm like, you mean you're saying what it is, is it's what you think, not what God says. Because God never came down and wrote an agreement and said, you know, for you, I'm just going to let you do this. Everybody else has a different standard. You're the asterisk in the Bible. Like, go to the back page. This, everybody has to obey these rules except for, oh, wait, flip to the back, Fred. Fred doesn't have to obey these rules. There's no exceptions. Demonic faith, believing that God exists or believing that God is, but not having a transformed heart is not enough. You see, the demons, though they believe in God, they never repent. The demons, though they believe in God, they never act on it. They never turn from their evil ways. You don't see this guy, this demon, in the guy going, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Please redeem me. Please rescue me from my horrible sin and my attachment to my father, the devil. Please. No, you don't see that. Jesus casts the devil out. The man is saved, but the devil has no desire to be right with God. But he believes he believes in God. Do you have demonic faith? Too many times there's an easy believed Christianity and it produces an easy lived Christianity. No accountability. You see, we, we, we want the rights and the blessings, but we don't want the responsibilities. We like the music. Oh man, this is some really good music. I just like the music. I like the singing. Yeah, the sound, the music is so good. Well, what about the message? behind the music. You let it, is that converting your heart? Friend, I'm, I'm talking to you today straight up on this because too many times we, we, we focus on, I'm here, I hear great preaching from Pastor Matt, I, I, I go to life groups, I'm in youth group, but have you ever examined your heart? Just to ask the simple question, is there fruit in my life? Are the works that are in my life demonstrating that my faith is real? And if it is, rejoice in that. Because the Apostle Paul would put it this way to the Corinthian church after he's written them two very long letters about the sin in their church. He ends it with asking this, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. I don't have to prove Billy. I don't have to prove somebody else. I have to prove me. 
And that's what we're after. That's what I'm talking about this morning. The works that accompany salvation, they're evident. And you should be able to see them in your life. And so that's where I come down to this last one. Verse 21 through the end of the chapter. You had a dead faith and then you have a demon's faith. But now you have a a dynamic or a living faith. And this is the example. is Abraham. It's a response from the heart. It touches our mind. It touches our emotion. But it also touches our will. It leads to obedience. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou then, verse 22, how that faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? Now, don't think the word perfect here. You read, just get out a dictionary and look up the word perfect. When you look at me, you see this physique, and you think, okay, that is a perfect human body. Everybody believes that, right? No, it's not. Not because I don't, it didn't fit one of the definitions of perfect. It's just because you're like, that is one ugly man. But do you know what? This actually is a perfect human body. Because the, if you look up the simple definition of perfect, it means complete and whole. And so far, I still have the original legs and original hands and original teeth. And so I'm an original model. High mileage, but it's got it all there. But I, in that sense, I am perfect. I am complete. And here, James is using the word, and even the translators chose perfect for that. It is a completion. It is a completion that makes evident what's real. And so it's, it is true what James is saying here. His, his works that he did, Abraham did, perfected, completed, showed his faith. Verse 23, the scripture was fulfilled, which said Abraham believed God and it was imputed him for righteousness. Same quote from Genesis 15 that's in Romans 4. And he said, you see how then that a man is justified by works and not, or by works a man is justified and not by faith only. The works are the evidence. The works are not the effort. Are you, are you getting what I'm getting at? This is just as true as Romans. But if you read this one without Romans, you could get the idea that I've got to do something to make myself right with God. Romans has just clarified, no, your faith gets you right with God. James, even in chapter 1, three times talks about being right with God by belief and by faith. Here he just illustrates because there were already people in the early church who were only saying they believed, but their lives had not changed. And James was the pastor of the first church in the world. Jerusalem, the first church. He was the pastor. And as a pastor, he was laying it out to them. You guys say you have faith. I am not seeing it in your lives. And you need to examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. The second illustration I'll look at first. Verse 25, likewise was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and sent them another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Rahab the harlot. Rahab was a Gentile lady in the book of Joshua. And Rahab received the the Hebrew spies who came. They they snuck over Jordan before Israel crossed into the promised land. They came to see Jericho's defenses because Joshua is a military commander. He's like, we need to figure out how do we defeat Jericho. And you know how the story turned out. Turned around that they didn't attack it. They just walked around it, blew trumpets, and it fell down. But in their efforts to spy the city out and figure out what the defenses were, two guys came and they stayed at Rahab's house. And Rahab said to those men, This quote from Joshua chapter 2, verse um, 11. It said that she said, your God, your God is the God in heaven and the God in earth. 
She said, we are afraid. We have heard what your God did in Egypt. We have, that was 40 years ago. We have heard what your God has done on the other side of the Jordan River, within eyesight of where we live. We have heard what you people have done. We are terrified, but we know this. Your God is the God. You see, she had faith. And so by that faith, when her people came and they wanted to capture those two guys, she hid them. She hid them because she knew their God was in charge, and she took a risk with her own life by hiding them. Her works were a demonstration of her faith in the God that she believed. In Abraham's case, Abraham's not a Gentile. He's the first Hebrew. Abraham is called the friend of God. Abraham is a godly man. And Rahab's faith, we already saw, he believed in God and it was counted to him for righteousness. But Abraham proves his his faith, completes his faith, doesn't finish it, doesn't add to it, proves it by offering his son Isaac. Anybody remember that story? Abraham has a son, Ishmael. God said, nope, that's not the one. Sarah's going to have a baby. Sarah has a baby. She is 90. He is 100. They are old. And they have a little boy named Isaac. Abraham's pride and joy, this is going to be it. This is going to be the son of promise. And probably 20 years after He's born. Abraham's probably 120 years old. God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to take your son that you love, Isaac, and I want you to go to a place that I told you, tell you to do, and I want you to offer him as an offering. I'm sorry. God, you don't like human sacrifice. Well, in this case, Abraham, I do. Well, Abraham was being tested. His faith was being tested. Is he going to be obedient to God? And until we read Rome, or Hebrews chapter 11, flip back there. I'm going to finish there. Until we read Hebrews chapter 11, we have no idea what's going on. But in Hebrews 11, the mind of Abraham is revealed. And we see how that his faith is demonstrated by his works, and you're like, why would you do this? Hebrews 11, verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he, Abraham, that had received the promises from God, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac thy seed should be called. Verse 19, and this is why he did it, accounting, believing, that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. He knew, according to Hebrews 11, that if he sacrificed Isaac, he was not cutting off that line that was going to be as large as the stars of heaven, as many as the stars of heaven, but that if he sacrificed Isaac, God would have to raise him from the dead because this is the promised son. That is an insane level of faith. That is an insane level of faith. But even in the extreme, which is what James James uses the extreme to prove the point. What effect has faith made in your life? Has faith transformed you? God's not going to ask you to sacrifice anybody. Don't worry about that. But has faith transformed your life so that the works that are coming out are obedience to God? When you hear something from the word, you read it, you're like, wow, that is a promise from God to claim. This is a principle from God to obey. When you read the principle, do you say, okay, my life needs to change. I need to put away my anger. I need to put away my lust. I need to put away my covetousness. I need to put away my gossip. I need to put away my slander. I need to put away my fighting. I need to put away my, why? Because the principles are coming out, and as they hit you in the heart, you're like, there needs to be a transformation. God, I need to change there. And the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your heart is he says, that's true, now do it. 
That's true, now obey it. But if you're just like, and mia, mi mania, I can do whatever I want. You know, that's how it is. I live on this ground. Mi la ground now. No, we don't have the ability to say that. If we want to be faithful Christians, we go, God, you said it, I need to obey it. I just need to follow that. And the works are the demonstration that the faith is working on the inside. The works don't make you right with God. The works show that you are right with God because you want his way and not yours. Real faith makes us want to obey God. Real faith will make us hunger and thirst after righteousness. And real faith will make you seek God. You will have cold times, but in the cold times you will be like, God, I need you. I'm, I'm praying and I'm, I just, I'm not feeling close to you. And God, I want to walk with you. I want to be holy. I want to walk right. And it is the faith that God planted within you that's going to stir you and pull you to himself. And then it generates good deeds, good works not the other way around. This morning, can you answer the question, what is your faith like? What is your faith like? How, how do you see your faith? What kind of faith do you have? If we based it on the example of what's coming out of your heart, what's coming out of your life, what kind of faith do you have? And if it's a genuine faith, are you letting God have his way in your heart and in your actions, your deeds, and every part of it? Faith without works is dead. Let your works demonstrate your faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the the truth of your word, and thank you, Lord, that you are a faithful God and a faithful king and a gracious king. And, Lord, today I, I don't come as one who has attained. I come as one who is striving, God, who's seeking and wanting, Lord, to walk with you and to see you pleased with everything, Lord, that, that I do, think, say, and God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today. Some may not know Christ. Many do, but I pray, God, for them to exalt you, to let you lead and move as you will in their lives, that the faith that you put within us would be effectual, that the world could see around us that Jesus is more important, worth more than anything. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Pastor Matt. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709-1000. Again, it's 709-1000.